Welcome back to Kids Brain Detectives. I'm Dr. Jennifer Morrison, your host. I can't wait to share this week's episode. Welcome back to Parenting Pointers. Dr. Morrison and Dr. Caldwell with you. The topic for this segment is follow through. And this kind of has two different parts to me because we want two different versions of follow through. We want the ability to be consistent, but we also want to create a scenario when we're parenting where consistency is likely to happen. So it's almost two different brands of thinking. Let's talk a little bit though about the consistency of um, following up on specific things that you need to happen. Like when you're trying to model a specific behavior or decrease a specific behavior and you want to have this consequence, right, that comes into play, the question is how best to do that. My mom parented with the big consequence, big message theory, which is if I make it hurt enough, like not physically, but if I make it a, an impacting enough consequence, then this is really going to change young version of me's theory on life and and doing these things. And, and I don't know that that really held any water. Like, I'm not sure that over time that actually worked. What are your thoughts on the super big impact consequence for things? I think, I mean, just to be honest, I think you're almost setting yourself up for failure in that way. And And while some parents may be able to follow through with the whole you know, you're grounded for a month and they think, well, the the consequence has to match the behavior that you're trying to change. And while I do agree with that, you also have to think practically and really think about what the consequence is before you deliver it. Because once it comes out of your mouth, that is that does need to be what happens. It really can't be adapted after that, because if it is, what are you saying to your kid? Sure. Well, that's negotiable. Right. That you can't be trusted to stick to your guns on something. That if they wait it out, that eventually it will go in their favor. This, I think also too, what resonates for this with me is that sometimes when we are making consequences for our kids, we have also created a scenario where we then don't get what we want. And I'll give you an example. Let's say, so for my 12-year-old, he has a little group of running buddies in the neighborhood. And he has the freedom to play in our neighborhood without adult supervision. We live on a block where you can go, you know, to a couple of different houses and and he's old enough now that he can cross the street to go hang out with friends or whatever. He wears a watch and our expectation is always that he's going to have kind of a set time frame. Hey, we're going to do dinner about 530. I need you home before 530. Right? So that's the expectation. So in this case, let's say as a scenario, he comes in at 545 then my response could be, well, you don't get to play outside with your friends for the whole rest of the week. Well, okay, that might make there be a consequence for this particular situation, but what is he actually learning from this? A, he's not getting the physical activity and social engagement that I, and it's not like he did something wrong while playing. He just got distracted and didn't come in in time. I want him to be punctual. I want this to be something that he's able to benefit from, but maybe the, you don't get to play outside for the whole rest of the week you know, shooting from the hip with a big reactive response works. Why do you think that that might be a pitfall? What's wrong with that particular consequence? Because it seems like it would be a natural consequence, right? It does. Yeah. And in a minute, I want to talk about what natural consequences are. Oh, sure. Good. Yeah. Sorry. Um, We'll backtrack to that in a second. Yeah. So I think here, you know, the the goal is to, to 
to teach, right? With, with delivering consequences, with parenting, a lot of our job is to teach and not, it is to punish. And so I think in this, this, at times it is to punish, but I think this example, are we teaching more or are we punishing? Sure. Well, I think too, and just to back to backtrack to the whole natural consequences thing, also talking about the difference between increasing a behavior and decreasing a behavior. So what we know from years and years and years of college and a thousand books that we've both read between us and and lots and lots of parents that we've worked with and kids that we've worked with. And for me, more than 20 years of working with families is that we are going to get better results if we are praising and providing what are called positive behavior supports. Positive reinforcement. Right. So reinforcement means to increase. Positive means something that you're adding. So it doesn't, a lot of times parents think that means you have to be positive when you are doing this. It's not about attitude. It's about adding, right? So I'm adding this situation that then increases the likelihood that this is going to happen. So in this case, if we've got a curfew situation, and this is the 12-year-old version of a curfew, but it could be a 16 or 17-year-old version of a curfew issue, then the question is how best to actually provide an opportunity where positive reinforcement can happen. If what you've said is you're grounded for a month or you can't go hang out with your friends for the whole rest of the week, you have now as a parent logistically limited your opportunities to catch your child doing it well and to praise them, which is the more powerful learning opportunity here. Absolutely. Research supports that. Ah, Yeah, absolutely. So if what we're looking for is an opportunity to create a scenario where we can do that research-based method of saying, buddy, you did it just how I want to thank you for that, then ultimately what our consequence might be is a little bit different. So maybe at my house, it might look a little bit like this. So my son was supposed to come in before dinner at 5.30. He shows up at 5.45. Have I held dinner for him? No. So natural consequence is what happens naturally when something happens. When you are late to dinner, at my house, you eat cold food. I'm not going to hold dinner for you. So you miss dinner. He shows up at 545 instead of 530. And we've already had, we sat down to dinner at 530. Like I told him, we've already eaten most of our food. So maybe he walks into the tail end of our family meal and he's indignant. Well, well, why don't you guys wait for me? I told you what time dinner was. Dinner was at 5.30. Everybody else in the family was here on time for dinner. This is when we ate. Now you got cold food. Natural consequences are very powerful. This even works with a toddler. Uh, I've been through a stint recently where my toddler has decided that when he gets mad, he wants to throw his plate. Well, guess what? It may be easier to give him another plate of food to pick up the stuff to make sure that he eats enough and you know, doesn't wake up in the middle of the night. But the natural consequence, the teaching here is if you throw your food on the ground, there's not extras. Right. The food's dirty. You throw it on the ground and you can no longer eat it. So either you eat dirty food or you're done for the night. It is what naturally happens after a behavior occurs. A lot of times I think we as parents try to get real tricky with consequences, right? We want to find the, if this happens, then this real impacting thing, like there's no video games for this. But If they're not related, like if there's not an actual connection between the behavior and the consequence, it's harder. Then it's just, then it truly is just a punishment. Right. Well, and you spoke to this earlier, but we're also decreasing behaviors that we want to see more of. You want your child to be outside uh, having that social interaction piece, getting exercise, getting vitamin D. And by, you know, making a consequence where he can't do that for a week, we've just decreased a lot of the behaviors that we want to see in our kids. Sure. Well, and this is one of those situations to circle back to the uh, the 545 show up, right? Like you were supposed to be there at 530. Now you've got a cold dinner. He sits down to dinner. And the conversation at my place goes a little like this. 
Hey, buddy, do you know what time dinner was? Uh Uh-huh. You said to be home before 5.30. And what time is it now? It's 5.45. So now you're going to have cold dinner because you showed up late, right? And you missed out on 15 minutes of family fun time, right? Because we all sat here and had a great conversation while you weren't here. Yeah, I did. I missed 15 minutes of dinner. Okay, well, I'm going to take that 15 minutes back. So tomorrow, when you ask to go out and play with your friends, I'm going to say, yes, but you can't go until the timer is done with the 15 minutes I'm going to count down. And I'm going to take my 15 minutes back. That was time that we were supposed to have as a family. This was time you chose to spend with your friends. So we're going to trade that time back. And tomorrow, there will be a 15-minute delay before you can go out with your friends. I'm going to say yes, because I want you to go hang out with your friends and to have that time to run and play and engage socially with your you know, your buddies down the street. That's important to me because I know it's important to you. But I also need you to understand when you take my family time, I'm going to take it back. And I'm going to take it back in a time when maybe you're going to want to run out and play. I wanted you here at dinner time. And so I'm taking that 15 minutes tomorrow when it's time to play. Understand? And it seems like a fair trade. I never get a pushback from this. I may get a grumble, especially from my 15-year-old. You can expect a grumble. Exactly. That is expected. But a part of this process is that follow-through of, this was my expectation. This is how I'm following through. And you know what's funny is it only takes a couple of times for something like this to happen. And I've got kids rolling through the door at 515 to make sure they don't miss dinner. You know, like there was a lull in the action. So part of this process is to follow through that there is is a consequence when you say something needs to happen. The other part is to make sure that you're following through on things you can actually follow through on. Because if you impose the, you're grounded forever, (laughs) right? So let's say we roll up into that 15, 16, 17-year-old age range. Or until I say. Right. The indefinite punishment. (laughs) That works well, right? So here's the problem with this. The indefinite punishment leads to what's called habituation. And habituation is when you get used to something. Like you, let's say you're sitting there in a situation where there's this new thing and it's like really bugging you. There's this background noise and it pops into your attention. You hear the like the bathroom door down the hall opening and closing and opening and closing and it's right in the forefront because it's super bugging you. But eventually what happens is that your brain naturally habituates, it gets used to it and it shifts it off into the background. So you're not bothered by that anymore. The same is true for the indefinite consequence. So it may be really life impacting when you tell your 13-year-old daughter that she is grounded to her room with no social activities until you say so or forever or whatever. Until she changes her behavior. Exactly. So what you're going to get is this immediate big emotional response. But on day two, day three, day four, you've le- you've gone into the territory of where it, the effect is worn off. So now you have this situation where you are in almost a standoff with your child because you're waiting for something that's not going to happen. Yeah, and they start to you start to see apathy. Absolutely. So then, as a parent, what you wanted never happens. What you wanted was this big response. Oh my gosh, I have learned this lesson so well because this massive consequence is in place. You got the opposite. What you got was a kid that no longer cares about your consequence because you made it too big, too broad, too ill-defined to be able to truly impact them. So let's talk a little bit about what the alternate scenario might look like. You have your 13-year-old daughter. She's transgressed some rule or whatever. Now she's grounded. What I would suggest instead is that you make it a time-limited ground, right? So 
for the next 48 hours, what you're going to ask me for socially, I'm going to say no to. And then after 48 hours, we're going to try this again. And the expectation is that you're going to do this thing. And if that thing happens the way that I want, great. Fantastic. This works out for both of us. You get what you wanted. You've met my expectation. Everybody's happy. You break the expectation again. Next time, the grounding is going to be for three days instead of two or four days or however. And it can be 12 hours that turns into 24, that turns into 36. But the theory would be that you're improving your odds of offering opportunities to reinforce positively what you want to see by making sure that that happens again. If you ground them for life, you never get an opportunity for your child to show up before curfew. You never get an opportunity for your 12-year-old to roll through the door at 5.15 and say, I was keeping an eye on my clock and everybody else was going to do this thing, but I knew it might take longer than 15 minutes and I was going to be late. So I came home early instead. Those are the opportunities you want because those are the opportunities where you look at your child and say, That was excellent planning. I'm really glad that you thought about what I needed from you and you were able to to make that happen. I am so proud of you. That's a real big kid move. And those moments are just as, if not important, as the consequences. The the pointing those things out and the the positive reinforcement. Right. Catching them doing it right is the stronger learning opportunity. Now, this may be a different topic, but I think I'm I think restorative justice is that is that where you add in things? Mm-hmm. That's what it's called, right? I think so. I think so. And this is essentially where you're giving them the opportunity to fail, have a consequence, and then to prove that they have this capability again. Mm-hmm. If you wait for too long, you don't have the opportunity for them to make the connection that what you were looking for was something different. Right. So they almost have the opportunity to repair their prior failure by showing you that they've then demonstrated the skill set. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. And also just, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with an example, but it's like, say your kid colors on the wall or destroys oh. something in the house, like the, the doing the work to repair whatever it was. Right. Restitution. Thank you. That's yes. what you're thinking. Yes. Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking of. Right. It's sort of like when you send someone to prison and then they are on the chain gang, make, you know, cleaning up the side of the road from trash or they're making, I don't know, this is from like 1950s movies, but they're making license plates or something like that. This is how they're giving back to society because of their wrongdoings. So what do you think about doing this with kids? I think restitution is really important for everybody. I think when you mess something up as a human, that you should take the steps to make it right if you have the ability to do so. Right. And so if what we're talking about, we've talked in previous segments about being for our children a model for what we want them to be in their adulthood, then absolutely I think restitution is important. You mess something up, you fix it. You break to see us doing absolutely. There's times, and I have a tinkerer in my household. My oldest is the most take things apart guy that you've ever met. And this often means, especially when he was younger, that he would break things. Not intentionally, but trying to see how it worked. He would put himself in a situation where he would cause damage that he then couldn't fix. And it is not something that he has grown out of. Even as a 15-year-old, there are times that he will break something unintentionally. I'll give you an example. This doesn't happen in normal people's houses. So full disclosure, this is not how everybody's 15-year-old is. But mine is very good at handy skills. And he's the kind of guy that you want around when things go wrong because he usually can fix things, which is a fantastic thing. But at times this gets us into trouble. So 
we had our internet switch from cable internet to like a fiber optic cable, right? Again, normal people, this doesn't happen in your house. So this was a new system for him. He didn't know how it worked. The installation and everything was working fine, but he decided he was going to mess with it one day. And he's a fiddle with it kind of guy. So I come around the corner and he's messing with the cable box, the fiber optic box. And I said, you need to leave that alone because I have no idea how to fix that if something goes wrong. And he ended up snapping off a cable that he then couldn't repair because we don't have the parts for it. So then we had to call to have the cable company come fix the internet. And so we have the natural consequence of you broke the internet. Now you cannot use the internet and it's going to take a couple of days for them to come out and fix it. So all of these natural consequences that happen, now they're happening for everybody in my family, which is the unpleasant part of natural consequences. But he, as a 15-year-old, is pretty impacted by a lack of internet at our house. And then the secondary piece is there's a $75 service call. They come out to the house. They fix it. But it costs $75. Who do you think paid the $75? No, I hope paid it. Yes. It was my 15-year-old. And he paid for it out of the money that he makes mowing lawns. And it sucked for him because he had his eye set on something that he was going to. It's a lot of lawns. And we had a very, very good conversation after this because there was no, was there exasperation? Absolutely. Did I roll my eyes and puff and, you know, get a little bit frustrated? Yes. But there was no yelling, which go me because I am a natural yeller. There was no yelling because I knew that this would pose the perfect opportunity for a natural consequence, several natural consequences actually. And after he paid his $75 to me, which I made him go to the bank, use the ATM machine with his debit card where he deposits money into his bank account, so much more impactful. take the money out and put it in my hand instead of just transferring from account to account or whatever. To have that big impact, he looked at me and said, it's really expensive to take care of these things. And I said, this is just one of six gazillion things that we pay for all the time. When you break it, you have to fix it. And when you break it for us, when you were little, we paid for it. Now that you're old enough to know better, you're going to pay for it. If you make a problem, then you fix it. Just like if I broke something of, you know, I was borrowing a friend's things or something from my parents or whatever. I used their thing. I broke their thing. I'm going to pay for a new thing or I'm going to find a way to repair it because that's what you do when you make a mistake. This was a great opportunity to show him what follow through looks like and follow through in a good way. Follow through that there's natural consequences, but also follow through with the obligation that you have in that moment. So I feel like we spun into a completely different topic, but the goal would be for there to be a consequence that makes sense because it follows naturally from the behavior and that you stick to your guns and make sure that that it happens. No because I how right, I could have eaten the $75 and said, and oh, you know, faster. exactly. Yeah. Nope. We want to make sure that there's a real impact and that impacts come comes from following through and making sure that those natural consequences are things that your kids feel. And consequences are painful for parents too. I mean, we all know this when our kid that, you know, gets grounded from TV or the, their phone or they have to stay home and we can't go to the party. It's painful for us too. So when we're thinking about patients, like we've switched from our, we've just been on our mom role for a while now switch back to psychologist role. Do you find with the patients that you work with that your parents are sometimes hesitant to provide consequences because they know it's going to be painful for them? I think so. And I think too, I think parents just, we all, 
in a, you know, with patients too. They they don't like to see their kids hurting from a consequence, sure. and it can be painful to take a phone away or to miss out on an activity. And so there can be this. There's this pull. You know, if their kid begs enough, or they see them, you know, hurting from it to to give it back. You know, prematurely. So why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because if we think about it, then it teaches them basically they can get what they want if they try hard enough. And so the next time you implement it. But not in a good way, right? Not in a good way. Right, not in the persistent, if you try hard enough, you can do anything, reach for the stars, sister kind of approach. In the part where what they figured out is that if they badger you enough about it, you'll go back on whatever consequence you just imposed. Right. Then that's not what we want our kids to learn. It is not what we want, no. Um, You can all, there's, there's a term called an extinction burst. So this, I think this sort of relates to this. It's basically when we want to see a behavior go away, we often see the behavior get much worse before it goes away. And you can think about this if you sleep trained your kids. The first night that, you know, your baby was in the room by itself, probably cried and cried a lot more. And maybe it got worse the next night and worse the next night. And so that's that right. extinction burst. You and see this, this is when parents start to lose it because they're yes. like, oh my gosh, it's not working for me. Oh my gosh, it's not working you for me. You see the same thing when you, when you deliver a consequence that your kid doesn't like. Maybe they throw a fit. Maybe they name call. Maybe they their behavior gets worse. And then you think to yourself, this isn't worth it. This consequence is not working. It's not, I'm just going to give it back because we need to try something else. But what you're actually seeing is the fact that it hit pretty close to home is working because of their big response. And if you just stick with it, that you're going to get the desired result at the end of this. You just got to wait it out. So what you're telling me is parenting sucks and is hard sometimes. Yes. And that we're going to plant a lot of seeds and maybe not see the fruits of our labor. Like not right now anyway. Yeah. And we have to focus on what we, what we can control and we can, can, for the most part, large majority of, of, of consequences that we deliver or what we say we can follow through with. Sure. And when we don't, we own up to it. And that's an important piece too. So this goes for when we uh, implement a consequence and we don't follow through and our kids say, well, you know, you said this, but then you didn't do this, or you said this for me, but you didn't do it for my brother. Or I just watched you doing this thing that you told us not to do. Those are situations where it would be really easy to say, don't talk to me that way, or this doesn't apply to you, or we're not having this conversation. You're the child, I'm the parent. How often do you hear that? You're the child, I'm the parent. What I say goes. But let's pause there because I know you have a but after that uh, that that happens. But what I want to stop down is the moment where we say, if the guiding premise that we're trying to drive home here is that we as humans have to model for our kids how we want them to be as humans, that response, which I think is a real natural human tendency, totally. or you're a child, I'm an adult, don't talk to me that way, right? That's disrespectful. What you've taught them is that in their in their own lives, in their own hierarchies, where they're maybe the bigger kid and there's little kids around or they're with friends or they're with a spouse or a loved one future wise that they can say, we're in an imbalanced relationship. I'm the superior, you're the inferior, whatever. Now you just have to say, and they will follow through like that. That's the expectation that it doesn't have to make sense that it has, it doesn't have to be consistent with reality. The person that's in the authority position is allowed to say whatever they want and expect you were Compliance. Your compliance. Is that what we as humans are trying to teach our kids? 
It's not my goal, not my number one goal. Well, we want kids to be compliant. For sure. But we also want them to put themselves in situations where when there is a hierarchy involved, when there is an authority figure, a boss, or somebody that they are in a relationship with that they are sharing an experience with, that it be one where there is give and take. Right. So we don't want our kids to be dominating other people. No, but we want them to be critical thinkers and we want them to be assertive. Right. And we have to practice those things at home. But that may also mean modeling what that conversation looks like. Yes. So instead of the blaming, shaming kind of conversation of you said this, you said this, and then you didn't hold true for my brother or whatever the argument is to maybe slow that emotional roll just a little bit and say, let's talk about this. So what you're saying is, this active listening process where you're saying, what I hear you saying is the rule is this, and you don't think that I'm doing that with your brother. Let's talk about why that is. Maybe it is the case. Okay. I think you're right. I think I didn't. That's a family rule for everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't think I followed that family rule. There's where that imperfection piece comes in too. Absolutely. I think I did it wrong. Let me fix it. Or to help give a child a perspective to see that you really were following a family rule, even though they couldn't see the behind the scenes. Right. Because kids are different. So sometimes you have different ways of parent. I know, I know at my house I do. Mm-hmm. With my 12-year-old, I'm going to parent very differently than I parent with my 15-year-old. It's because, almost unavoidable. Right. So sometimes, though, what I'll hear is, this happens a lot at my house, you punish me way more than you punish him, or you have expectations for me that you don't have for him. And this is the, the conversation that literally happens at my house on a semi-regular basis. You don't always see what's going on behind the scenes. When I have conversations with you about the things that I don't like or that I think need to change and that we're coming up with a plan to change those things, is your brother usually involved? No, it's usually a one-on-one conversation, right? So if we are one-on-one when we are having these kinds of conversations, please understand that I am one-on-one with your brother having those kinds of conversations with him as well. You just can't see it. So it may feel imbalanced because it always feels like we're doing this. But it's because you don't see me doing the same things with your brother in a different way about the same family rules, about being kind, about being responsible, about being capable and being helpful as we contribute to this larger family picture. And there's also an age component there, too. Like I've recently heard my four-year-old saying, you know, we we expect him to, to communicate a little bit differently than the two-year-old. And so, you know, we'll say things like, please say, may I have some milk, please? And the other day, I had a situation where I was teaching the toddler to say, milk, please, instead of the, may I please have some milk? And my four-year-old corrected me and said, no, that's not what we say. We say X, Y, and Z. And so that was a good conversation for, okay, well, he's he's developing his, his way of speaking. And so what I expect you to say and what I expect him to say are different. Right. And so you can apply that with, with teenagers as well, even if they're different ages. It's just our expectations may change based on the kid, the age, all of those factors come into play. Sure. But the same central themes are there. Absolutely. And I think that this is where we'll round out the follow through thing. Like if what we're trying to do is build an opportunity for learning, true learning, and that involves connection with your family, you have to be consistent with your expectation, which means holding some central family values. And we'll talk about that more in some other segments. But that when you insert a consequence for something that ideally it would be a natural consequence, Ideally, it would be something that allows you to put some sort of consequence in place that has some impact, that it not be indefinite, because ultimately we want is kids to have the opportunity to show that they can meet your expectations. And if you remove all of those opportunities, you're never going to get that part, because the strongest part of follow through is to watch it till it works out 
the way that you wanted, or at least closer to the way that you wanted, and to praise, 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 and celebrate those moments because that's when real learning happens. Your consequence just shuts down an undesirable behavior. Ultimately, the strongest part of parenting is teaching kids that they can meet your expectations and celebrating that with them. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for this segment on follow through. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Welcome to this week's BBC Technique for Parents to bond, build, and connect relationships with their kids. I'm calling this one, Hold It, Circle Back. So one of the things that I love from a customer service standpoint is when I go see somebody that I don't see all the time, whether it's a physician or the lady that cleans my teeth or the person at the grocery store that checks out my groceries or the coffee person at my favorite coffee shop, whatever those people are. I love it when they recognize me and they know a little something about me. Like maybe they follow up on something we talked about before or they know my favorite order or they're anticipating something from their interactions with me to happen again. I think it's excellent customer service for people to hold on to those things and bring them back later because it feels really attentive and it feels like your interaction with that person has been meaningful enough for them to remember it. We are going to use this to hold on to some information and to circle back with our kids in the same way to show that degree of attentiveness and connection in our parent-child relationship. So this is a little bit different than the coffee shop scenario because Kids talk about silly stuff and things that don't make sense. And these days, because entertainment often means videos of random things, the things that your children are sharing with you might actually feel a little bit random, like you don't have much context for it. However, as a part of this goal, what we're wanting to do is focus on actively building connections with your child by holding on to part of what they say and the stories that they share with you or a video that you saw together. And even though they might feel like random pieces of information to just mentally file it away for another time, the ability to actively listen to others and then circle back to it later so that you can talk about it shows that you're engaged, engaged with them, invested in them, invested in conversation and sharing. So Kids need this just as much as your spouse or other family members, your friends and coworkers. With your children, this may mean asking about whether a friend in their class is out from being sick. Like maybe they casually mentioned that a friend of theirs was getting a cold and had to leave school early. Maybe this is early in the week. You pick them up in carpool and say, hey, so-and-so back to school yet? I know you said they were sick on Monday. Or asking something that's related to something that they've shared with you before. For instance, let's say you guys were sharing a silly video or your child was talking about a video where they saw some goats that were fainting. So maybe you drive, you see some animals, and as a part of this process, there's a goat and you say, I wonder if that's one of those fainting goats that you were talking about in that video. Just bringing up a scrap of information that you've shared with your child before can be a really helpful connection technique. Another example for this, if your child comes and talks with you about how abysmal school lunch is and how scary it is, and they tell you that they ate a yogurt parfait last week, and then you come back and you're in a situation where you're having a conversation about what they want to eat for dinner, and then you say, hey, did you have a yogurt parfait again, or has school lunch improved some? 
you're just giving an insight that the information they shared with you, even though this seems like trivial stuff, that's a part of their world. And it was interesting enough to you because you're interested in them to hold on to it. These sorts of things show that you are hearing what their kids have to say. We spend so much time talking in their direction or we give instructions that sometimes we need to step back and open up a conversation about something that they have shared with you before to show that we are there and listening. So when your kids take the time to share things with you, even if they're silly things, try to remember it and hold on to it. And if you can circle back to it to show your kids that you are invested in that time talking with them. Hope this BBC tip helps this week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Kids Brain Detectives. We hope you enjoyed your time here with me, Dr. Morrison, and my colleague, Dr. Katie Caldwell. We sure enjoyed talking with you and look forward to talking with you again soon. Check out the show notes and we'll catch you next time.